The fourth pick in the 2020 NBA Draft goes to the Chicago Bulls. The third pick will be made by the Charlotte Hornets. The second pick goes to the Golden State Warriors. And that means that the number one pick in the 2020 NBA Draft goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Here on Radio Massoy, another episode of The Final Call. As always, Andrew Fantuccio. No bad memories today, but the man with the easiest name in the Zoom is here with me, Mr. Jason Snow. Jason, how are you? I'm great. Two exciting, suspenseful minutes of uh, kind of NBA basketball last night, but I watched every second, and you know there are a lot of questions to be answered. So, you know, let's get to it. So first question I think that needs to be asked is, who should the Timberwolves take with the first overall pick? Um, I, it, it depends on what they're going after. I think this is kind of a, a big year for the Timberwolves because they have, I, I could say two of the best players in basketball, D'Angelo Russell and, and Carl Anthony Towns, offensively speaking, two of the best players in basketball. So not much defense on that front line. Um, but if they finish second to worst in the, in the West again, I think, it, you know, it could be time to blow things up. But uh, Anthony Edwards is, to me, the best player in the draft, and I'd, I'd look at him first. I don't know. I heard question marks about his drive and his, you know, his ability to defend, and they kind of went through that with Andrew Wiggins in the past. So I don't know if they'd want to potentially, like, veer away from an issue similar to what they had in Wiggins. But uh, Anthony Edwards is my, is my best player in the draft so far, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on them taking Anthony Edwards. I, I think it's just because he fits in better positionally with what they have right now. Uh, I think the other only option at number one is LaMelo Ball, but because the Wolves have D'Angelo Russell, who they traded for, and they're making a big deal out of as kind of the face of their franchise now with him being there for the draft yesterday and all that, I don't think LaMelo Ball really fits in with, with what the Wolves have because I don't think LaMelo can play off ball, and I don't think they want to have Russell play off ball either. So I think Anthony Edwards fits in perfectly. That's where I would go with this pick. Um, but I wouldn't be – I wouldn't – necessarily hate them taking Lamella ball because I think he's equally just as talented as Anthony Edwards yeah talent wise I think they're fairly even I just think stylistically you know Russell is kind of a low to the ground kind of glide around can get a little sloppy at times a little turnover prone and I think Lamella is a similar story so do you want two similar guys in the backcourt I think it'd be fun to watch but at the same time, it'd be like, you know, where's the defense going to come in the starting lineup? I know Carl Anthony Towns isn't going to give you much. And D'Angelo Russell, on-ball defense is probably one of the worst in the NBA. He mainly makes his money on um, shot creation. So, but Yeah, I agree with you about the shot. About basically, LaMelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell, I think they're – I don't want to say they're, you know, one the same players, but they're, I think they're too similar, similar to coexist in the backcourt. They'll both kind of equally be fighting for minutes and uh, control of the ball and pace of the, of the team. So that's why I think Anthony Edwards, who's more of an off-ball guard, more of a shooting guard, really, I think he fits in better with what the with what the Timberwolves have right now. So, but 
in a draft that really didn't have a consensus first overall pick, for teams like Chicago or Charlotte who end up with three or four, is not getting the first pick a big loss for them? Should it be disappointing? Uh, disappointing, yes. Uh, but I don't think it's the end all be all because you like I think you know there are some sleepers kind of in the you know between seven and you know ten uh, that ranking that group. Uh, Denny Aviga is you know one of the best international players in the draft. I know there are a lot of question marks. I haven't seen him play personally, so I can't really give you his strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. But he's a highly touted prospect that you know a lot of people like. Uh, Obi Toppin is a guy that you know a little old for the draft class. I don't know how high his ceiling is, but he's a, he's a guy that you know is going to fill up the seats. He's going to get above the rim. He's going to be one of those guys to you know really you know circle with your pen. Um, but I, I think Anthony Edwards and Lamelo Ball are. I think Edwards is a safer pick, but I think Ball could potentially be you know a bigger boom to this to this draft. Is Lamelo going to be uh, anything like his brother? See, I, they're they're kind of polar opposites to me because you know Lonzo really. He he is a master with you know on ball defense, especially especially passing and distributing. That's kind of where I have my question marks with Lamelo. He's he's good off the dribble. He's good with the with the handle. My question is, you know, is he going to be good distributing to others? Is he going to take too many shots? Almost is he going to be invested on the defensive side? So they're kind of polar opposites to me. But as an overall player, I, I think Lonzo it hasn't ascended to quite the stature where we thought we were, uh, where we were headed a couple of years ago when he was drafted to the Lakers. So I, I think there's a chance, depending on the situation and how they give him the range to the team, that he could potentially surpass that. So obviously there isn't one true path to the NBA. There's a, you know guys come from all over the world, a million different backgrounds. But for LaMelo Ball opting to not go to college immediately start playing professionally overseas in Australia and, and in Europe, does that sort of help him? Maybe does that give him a, a leg up on the competition upon entering the NBA, do you think? I don't think, it, you know, a leg up is, is kind of complicated, but at the same time, this is kind of unprecedented. We Will he be ahead of the curve? Is that a better way to put it? Yeah, I mean, playing a, a, against pros is nothing, you know, there's no downside to that necessarily. Uh, but we haven't seen a guy do this. I, I know RJ Hampton is doing a similar um, thing over in Australia, but we haven't really, you know, gotten to this point where, and then this kind of leads to a bigger conversation, not necessarily relevant to the show, but we haven't seen a lot of players bypass the NCAA. We haven't seen a lot of guys go, you know, I'm going overseas and then I'm going to come back. I don't like the college game. I think it's too restrictive. NCAA potentially could be, you know, taking advantage of me. So we haven't really seen this route. And and my projection is, I think we're going to see a lot of people, a lot of other prospects do similar things. Um, these guys are just trailblazers. Um, but in terms of getting a leg up, I think it prepares them um, more to be NBA ready day one. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest questions that came out of the lottery yesterday are the Golden State Warriors. Their GM said that they're probably not likely to use that pick at all in the draft, and they're probably going to use it more as an asset in a trade to help right. further their championship window. So with that being said, what team will the Warriors make a trade with, and what player or players will they acquire? Um, and, and There's nothing really set in stone. But if I'm the Warriors, I'm looking at a couple different guys. Um, 
I think Bradley Beal is one. You get a guy that, you know, is kind of trapped in Washington. Maybe Washington wants to give him one more year, let John Wall come back from his injury, and, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. They were just barely on the cusp of making the playoffs. Maybe they want to run it back for one more year before they give up on Beal. But for the Warriors, I'm going to push for him because, you know, you can have Steph at the one, Clay at the two, and then maybe slide in Bradley Beal at the three and then kind of, you know, rejoin that championship window. And other guys, maybe, and I doubt they'd give up on him um, right now, but Minnesota's probably after him too, but Devin Booker. If you can get a Devin Booker, you know, really, you know, make that Warriors offense a, a, a firepower once again. And obviously, that this is no secret. They're going to go after him. I have no idea if it's going to work. I don't know if this team's going to be receptive to it. I don't know if they're going to, you know, fall flat on their face with this. Do you think they give the Milwaukee Bucks a call? If Chris Middleton disappoints and they flame out in six in the Eastern Conference Finals to a Celtics or a Raptors team, right? And Giannis is kind of frustrated, kind of like Embiid with his hands over his head in this last series. And he's showing real frustration. And you're the Warriors and you make that call. I don't know how receptive. You're going to answer the call, really. I don't know what the deal is going to be there. It's definitely worth a try, though. But those three are my, are my top three uh, prospects for the Warriors here. So I completely agree with you on Bradley Beal. You know, the Wizards, I think, are a team that they need – it's time for them to, to restart, re, rebuild. John Wall's injuries have kind of just – they've bogged this team down. They, they haven't reached the ceiling they were supposed to. Bradley Beal's extension runs out in a couple of years. And I think the Warriors are going to be looking for someone not to exactly match Kevin Durant's uh, scoring output, which they lost, but someone that can kind of replace it. Obviously, yeah, that's, gonna, that's almost impossible to do, and Bradley Beal isn't the player that uh, Kevin Durant is, but he can kind of fill in that role. It's a long outside score, but can also get inside. Uh, I think he fits that team well, and I think you know Washington's been trying to deal him for a long time, and I think he'd be a good fit with the Wizards. I don't necessarily agree with you on Phoenix and Devin Booker because they just went 8-0 in the bubble, and I think Phoenix feels like they're kind of – they're kind of on the rise, but they're kind of on the cusp. They could have been that eight team. They could have been a seven seed if yeah. the season, you know, so I don't really agree That's with you there. a pipe dream. Yeah. Right. And I don't really agree with you on Milwaukee either. Cause I think Milwaukee's going to try everything they can to keep Giannis, to keep Chris Middleton. I think Milwaukee knows that like what they have right now is their best shot at having a warrior type run with Giannis. He's, you know, a top three player in the NBA right now. You don't want to, I don't, I wouldn't want to give that up until you absolutely have to. And even if you lose this year, I mean, your Milwaukee's chances of bringing Giannis back, I think, getting even slimmer. But I, you got to keep trying with him until you absolutely can't. The one team that I think, besides Washington, that can make a trade with the with, with the Warriors, I think it's Philly. I think the Sixers could pull off a deal. Let's face it, the Sixers aren't. They haven't reached their ceiling. They're not anywhere near the what we all thought they could have been. Maybe they kind of look at their what they have and say this is where they kind of make the decision between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, which one the Warriors trade for. I don't know. That's really up to them because it could go in a bunch of different ways because both Simmons and Embiid would kind of be ideal fits with the Warriors. Surround them with shooting. We know the Warriors have that. I don't know. I think, I think Philly might just, especially after they're going to be, they're going to be swept by the Celtics. I, I'm changing my take from uh, Celtics at five to Celtics and four. This, that's going to be a sweep. Sixers need to tear it down, build it up again, restart the process, and start with getting the number two pick. Okay, yeah, I, I like that. 
Um, my only question though, would if you get number two from the Warriors and say like an Andrew Wiggins and you pair those two for one of Embiid or Simmons, right? Wouldn't Philadelphia want to go for a more win now mode or do you think they would tear it down? I think they tear I, it down necessarily, but like, you know what I mean? Well, I think I, I, I wouldn't say you necessarily start all the way back at the beginning like they were and yep. just be the absolute floor, doormat of the league. But you, you build this team around, around either Simmons and Embiid, right? You start with getting LaMelo Ball, a good ball handler, someone who can shoot from the outside. Uh, if you Maybe if you decide that, you know, you trade Embiid, maybe you pick up uh, James Wiseman to replace him. I don't know. There, there's a couple different routes that Philly could go with at that number two pick. I would just think that at this point, they're not making it past Toronto. They're not making it past Milwaukee. They're not making it past Boston. There's a lot of teams in the East that are a lot better than they are. They Sixers are more talented, but they're also they're kind of bogged down with the cap, right? They got, they got to decide whether to pay Simmons. They've already paid Simmons. They're going to have to pay Embiid soon. Tobias Harris's contract's been kind of, you know, it's been kind of a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? An atrocity. It's been, he hasn't lived up to his contract, right? The Sixers aren't what we thought they were going to be. They don't have the shooting around Simmons and uh, Embiid to succeed. The Warriors have that. They actually have the best of that with, with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So I think you add either Simmons or uh, Joel Embiid, you'll app the Warriors will definitely be at the top of the West next year. If you're the Warriors though, and you're making that call, which name are you leading? Which name are you leading off with though? Well, it depends on who the who Philly is more willing to give up. And I honestly, for Philly, I don't think there should be one guy over the other at this point. I think. I guess. Well, which one are you asking for? Hmm. I guess I'm asking for Embiid because at least that way. Actually, no. I'm I'm asking for Simmons because Simmons can kind of play that similar role as what Kevin Durant played. He's not the shooter that Durant is, obviously, but he still has the inside scoring ability. He's six ten. He's a power forward that plays like a point guard. He doesn't have yeah. to handle the ball because you have Steph Curry, you have Klay Thompson who can both handle. His defense isn't too much of an issue either because you have Draymond. So I think you're asking for Ben Simmons. You can also play up and down with Simmons. So Golden State has. Ex- exactly what Simmons wants to wants to play with. He wants to play with shooters. He wants to play run and gun. He wants to just get the rebound and go. And that's kind of what KD gave to them, except KD gave this other level of, you know, this layer of offense where you can just give it to him and you get a bucket. And he's not, he's Simmons is never going to be that. I'm just saying prototype. You can have a guy as long as six ten, prototypical point guard, but I'd rather, you know, you can do everything on the court except shoot. Okay. So I, I, I like the Simmons over Embiid thing, if I'm the Warriors, I'd lead off with that. Um, but just to, you know, rebut my, the Giannis thing, I'm not, I'm not saying Milwaukee would um, give up on Giannis. I'm just saying, like, if this playoffs, if these playoffs are ugly and how they've played so far is kind of indicative of ugly and, you, you know, you underachieve. And then Giannis is like, all right, you have one more year, either make it count or, I'm not exactly satisfied here. And Chris Middleton is a great number four, <laughs> but he's my number two now and he's getting paid like a number two and he's not stepping up the way I thought he would. And then if you're Milwaukee, do you, you know, think about, does the thought seep into your head that we might have to, you know, move him before we get, you know, left in his tracks? 
Well, I think with Giannis, if Milwaukee is somehow able to retain him and actually able to sign him to a long-term deal, I don't think they will. I think Giannis will leave for a bigger market. But if they do, I think Giannis is one of those type of players in the NBA, kind of like what Pat Mahomes is in the NFL. You know, Giannis will have guys come to play in Milwaukee just to play with Giannis and maybe take a pay cut to do it. But that's really the only hope that Milwaukee has. They're too small of a market. Uh, I, I think Giannis would leave for... Not that he'd go to the Knicks when we'll get to them and after this in the next segment, but he'll go to a New York, he'll go to a Miami, he'll go to an LA, he'll go somewhere where he can be the guy in a big market, grow a brand, because that's, that's the NBA dream now. That's what the league is. And Milwaukee isn't a place to do that. So, And I just don't see the Warriors trading. And I just think the Bucks would be smart to hold on to Giannis for as long as they can. Yep. You know, so that's why I, I name I eliminate them in a trade. But that was an interesting that was an interesting idea. So coming up after this, we'll get into the dumpster fire that is the New York Knicks. Once again, they miss out on the lottery. What what can be done to save them? We'll get to that next here on the final call. This segment of the final call is brought to you by New England Sports United, written by the one and only Jason Snow. New England Sports United, written for New England. So, Jason, the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks. Oh, I feel so bad, but half my heart doesn't. Once again, they miss out on the lottery because they were jumped by both Charlotte and Chicago. And they had the six best odds of getting a top five pick. They're going to pick eighth. So after that, is there any free agent? Is there a trade? Is there a draft pick? Anything that can be done this offseason that can turn the Knicks around? No, no, and no. <laughs> okay, uh, there, there's more to unpack. But short term is no. Um, maybe they find a, you know, a good player at number eight. I think this draft class is, you know, not, not exactly top-heavy, but I think you can find a good player at eight, and it'll be solid. Um, I, I don't love the, the Tom Thibodeau hiring. I think that's you know a two-year disaster waiting to happen. They're going to look back at that in two and a half years and go, what were we thinking? Anthony Davis is not coming to New York. Other than that, there's no free agent you know, worth spending max money on. I just I, I hate using this word. But I, I think it's a, a term that New York needs to get used to, and that's patience. Because R.J. Barrett needs time to come into his own. Mitchell Robinson, we're seeing defensive signs from. He's young and, and growing. So I think you, know, you have to wait for this young core to develop. A lot of the problems from New York is coming from up top. And it is terrible bad luck. Part of me feels bad for the, for the franchise, and part of me doesn't. I just think it's kind, of, it's kind of funny. But short term, no, there's nothing they can do to fix uh, what's happened to them. Yeah. Knicks fans wish it was that simple. You know, the, the, the problems with this franchise is they run so much deeper than the basketball team itself. I mean, James Dolan either has to sell the team, I think, or he has to somehow change everything about who he is as an owner and a businessman overnight. If the Knicks are ever going to be a winning franchise again, I really think so. I think as, as long as James Dolan is in control of the team or he's running the team the way he is right now, the Knicks will just continue to be a laughing stock. But you brought up Tom Thibodeau. And I want to, I want to ask, how much do you think Tom Thibodeau will affect the Knicks record as head coach this season or next season? I, I, Cause to me, 
I don't think he really adds anything, but I don't think he really subtracts anything. To me, Tom Thibodeau, he's not really a guy that brings a lot to the table. You know, he's a, a good bargain barrel type of head coach. And, but the success of his teams usually depends on the ability of his players. And right now, the Knicks have next to none. You know, if you look back at Thibodeau's time with the Bulls, when Derrick Rose was healthy, the Bulls were the best team in the league. But then Rose blew out his knee, and the Bulls were never the same. With the Timberwolves, they were just awful, and Thibodeau had, because Thibodeau had awful players. The Knicks are, of today are worse than both of those teams. And, and his coaching really predicates on style, too. You have to have the players and you know, the makeup to have to play uh, for Thibodeau. That Chicago team was full of a lot of rough riders, a lot of you know, blue-collar kind of guys. Derrick Rose, uh, Richard Hamilton, Jimmy Butler, who was young, Kirk Heinrich, Joe Kim Noah, Lou Aldang, Carlos Boozer, Taj Gibson. All those guys are hard-nosed, you know, hard-working, you know, blue-collar kind of guys. You go to Minnesota where you know, we had them pegged as a, you know, a top three seed in the West. They weren't even close to that. They had Andrew Wiggins, who was known as a glider on the court, who didn't really, you know, his, his work ethic was criticized. Carl Anthony Towns, the same thing. He just had a lot of finesse guys on that team. Does the Knicks, do the Knicks have the hard-nosed kind of attitude guys that, you know, he had in his Bulls days? I don't know. That's unproven. I, I doubt it. But he, he's an all right hire. He, he's all right. The one advantage I'll give him right now is that the New York Knicks, they can kind of go either way right now. They don't really have a defining player or a defining style with their roster. A lot of their roster is really young uh, or are guys who really haven't been given their full shot in the league. Like you look at a guy like Julius Randle who broke his leg in his NBA debut and he really wasn't given his fair share with the, with the, with the Lakers in his time there. So he, and I think he's a guy who kind of falls into Thibodeau's uh, umbrella, someone who can play that Thibodeau style. Uh, RJ Barrett, he's young, he's raw. Maybe he can be molded into that type of player. So that's something I will give Thibodeau. Maybe this is someone who can kind of mold this Knicks team and sort of give them an identity. But I don't know if he's capable of doing that. But if there's a roster he can do that with, it might be the Knicks. Yeah, and I think the most alarming thing for Knicks fans is Dolan's not even touching the basketball side, and he's still toxic. That, that, <laughs> that's alarming. If, you're, if your team is known to have a ceiling because of your impact on it and you're not even touching the basketball side, you're strictly a businessman, and you're, you know, you're the face of that team, sure, you own it, but you hire guys to pretty much handle the basketball side, and that's it. And you're still known as the guy who can't get out of his own way. That <laughs> there's nothing you can do about that. There's, there's no player that can go in and, and fix that. Well, that that speaks to his decision making. That the guys he's putting in place have no business being in a, in a executive position for a basketball team. You know, Isaiah Thomas, great player, but didn't know what he's doing as a as a head co- as a uh, as an executive. executive. By the time Phil Jackson got there, I mean, great coach for the Bulls, great coach for the Lakers, but he was disinterested by the time he got to New York. You know what I mean? He really didn't – I think he was just kind of – he was ready to retire, yep. you know? So, and now you have, you know, uh, who's the G, who their GM right now? What's his name? Leon Rose. Leon Rose, right? He's already one of the favorites to go leave and become the GM in Sacramento after Vladi Divac just left the Kings. So he's just disinterested in the team. 
you need someone in New York who one knows what they're doing, but also cares. Maybe, you know, you need a New York native or someone who kind of gets the history of this team and wants to bring them out of just obscurity and just the wretched state that they're in. So I, I don't know. I know James Dolan's decision-making just, it's, it's not at the level it needs to be to run a basketball franchise. They did hire uh, Worldwide West, which was, you know, thought of, of a great hire. Um, a guy who knows players, likes players, you know, has that connection with New York and free agents and potential players that can go there. As long as he's on top of that team, they will not sniff contention ever. Because if you look at the PR things that he's done, and he was really, you know, clunky with, you know, the the social issues recently and things like that. And it's just a run. It's just a running avalanche of toxic. Well, how we, how we treated Spike Lee last season. Spike Lee's one of the only people that cares about your franchise and you drove him away. He, he was the one guy that showed up to every Knicks game for like a decade and you drove him away. He was the one guy that actually took interest and took a stake in your team unwarranted because they have, they haven't had any reason to warrant having interest in them and you drove him away. So it, it's just I mean, a not, bigger not even, thing than basketball. Not even, I mean, Spike Lee, yeah. A, a man who's given you millions of dollars to be at your, and he, he is your, he might be the most iconic person with the Knicks right now. And it's a fan. <laughs> yeah. like not, it's not someone that's at, at all. I mean, he's affiliated with the organization, but that's, it's not a player. It's not a coach. It's not a GM. The most, recognizable face associated with the New York Knicks right now is a fan. And that says a lot. Yep. And James Dolan and the people that you can, you know, sort of identify with the Knicks, Patrick Ewing, you know, an icon of the team, one of its greatest players, but even some of its other alumni, like Charles Oakley, James Dolan had him thrown out of Madison square garden and banned <laughs> for life. You know what I mean? Yep. So he doesn't like even the, the people who want to be involved with the Knicks and want to see them do well. They don't even get a say in this team. And, they, and to they, go back to the lottery thing, it, it's symbolic of how they're run. And you, absolutely. You yeah. I mean, just, it's just, it's just, it says a lot when the most profitable franchise in the biggest market is the worst team year in and year out. It says so much about how that team is run. You know, they got all this false hope for trying, you know, because they went out and tried to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving last year. And then they go across the river to Brooklyn. And that was just so heartbreaking for Knicks fans. I feel for Knicks fans. I really do because they deserve so much better than this. It's a slap in the face. They went 20 minutes away. <laughs> right. Like, <Did> you- <laughs> go, to, go to Philadelphia. Go to, go to a team that's more competitive. Go to a team that's anywhere else in the East. But you go in the same city, 20 minutes away, right across the river. A team that honestly set themselves up for an even worse situation than what the Knicks have. But yep. somehow they find some, they, the, the Nets have somehow found a way to drag themselves out of obscurity and might be one of the best teams in the Eastern conference next year. Once they, once Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on the floor together. Now let me say with, with the number eight pick, right. And they were supposed to get six or higher, but they fell all the way to eight. Thanks to the bulls and Hornets. They could luck into a guy that can give them kind of a push and you could have a young nucleus. I'm, this is an optimistic kind of Knicks take right here. And, you know, I've been bashing them for about 
six or seven minutes now. There, there, there might be some good things ahead for the Knicks. R.J. Barrett, let's see, year two. Is he more mature in his ball handling, decision-making? Is he a better shooter? Mitchell Robinson, expanded offense maybe in the low post? Who knows? Den- I've, I've talked about Denia Vija, but if you look at the mock draft on CBS, they have the Knicks taking Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, who's a sophomore, and his uh, prospect rank is third. So if, it, if you can lock into a guy that you know, wasn't supposed to be there, that could be a good sign. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, maybe you get lucky and Wiseman falls because he kind of opted out of the season, and you know, and plus with the with the cancellation of March Madness, maybe that and, and the uncertainty of what the draft combine will be this year. Maybe some of these guys fall, so maybe the Knicks do luck out. But just going based off their recent track record and how luck has uh, treated them. Oh yeah, that, I, 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 that that's a that's a <laughs> one in a million chance for the Knicks. Really, I, I just. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the universe just hates the New York Knicks. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But because outside of James Dolan, the Knicks haven't really had a lot of bad publicity. They've had, I mean, they had Carmelo Anthony. They had Amari Stoudemire. And then they just and didn't pan out in New York. And I don't, it really just seems to be the luck factor. It's not that they're doing the team or the coaching staffs. It just seems every decision that James Dolan makes somehow just just falls it just doesn't work out and i don't know if it's because I, I think some of the decisions he's made you know some of them haven't necessarily been awful getting carmelo anthony re-signing carl anthony not a bad decision really good decision but then the knicks don't build around him getting amari sodemeyer but then amari sodemeyer is a shell of what he was in phoenix so i don't know it, i I, maybe the universe just hates the New York Knicks. Maybe that's all it is. And that, that's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, you could look at the Mellow trade and be like, yeah, it was good. They got Mellow, but he was in his last year of his deal. You gave up six players to get him. You could have just waited in free agency and not given up half your roster. You could have been like, oh, you were you got Amari Stoudemire. That's great. But LeBron was in that same free agency class and said he might have considered going to New York had it not been for that dumpster fire atmosphere. You could also say... Are you hiring a coach every two years? David Fisdale was known to have a good relationship with players down in Miami as an assistant, and you, you wrote him out of town after two years because he wasn't good enough. Like, impulsive move after impulsive move. Like, you're acting more like the Browns here than, you know, a functional. I was waiting for you to bring them up. I really was. Because I know you just love crapping on the on the Cleveland Browns and you think that they're the worst franchise in all sports correct my favorite pastime yeah or are the New York Knicks the worst team in professional sports today Jason are you going to go against your favorite pastime or are you are you going to stay true to yourself the New York Knicks are the worst run sports organization in professional sports now the the Browns have more talent than them Browns have more um, you know relevance recently the Browns just, you know, they let go of Dorsey. They, they let go of Todd Haley, who was making a storm the past couple of years. They have some good structure in them now. Hopefully, cross your fingers. They give Kevin Stefanski, um, who I think is a, you know, a good coach. He was coaching in Minnesota. Let's see how he matures in his first real head coaching job. Odell Beckham is a good receiver. I, I, I think the Browns have a higher ceiling than the Knicks ever will <laughs> right now. <laughs> The Browns uh, look yeah. like they're at least building towards something. 
Exactly. That's my, yep. That's my point. Yep. But yeah, I, the Knicks are definitely the worst run team in professional sports. You know, James Dolan, again, he's turned the most profitable franchise in all of basketball into just a factory of sadness that just keeps putting out disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. You know, I was inclined to say that the Jets were the worst team in sports, yeah, but then I remember up there. I remember that it seems like they're at least in good hands with Joe Douglas. I liked a lot of the moves that Joe Douglas has made. Who yeah. the Knicks had to captain the ship? No one. Like I said, Ooh, their GM right. is – oh, great. <laughs> like, no one. But their, their yeah. GM, again, is rumored to be one of the favorites to replace Vladi Divac in Sacramento. The Knicks are a sinking ship and are by far, the, I think, by far the worst team in professional sports. Like, there were a lot of other teams in consideration. The Jets, the Browns, the Baltimore, the, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, the, the Ottawa Senators, the NHL. There are a lot of teams that could be thrown into this consideration. But just be uh, out of sheer, just the bad leadership with the Knicks, and they just seem like they have no direction whatsoever. I think the favorite has to be the Knicks. They they torment their t- their their fans every year. I swear they know it. They know it. They just rub it in their fans' face, like, "Oh, we got the number eight pick. Look at us!" And then, ugh. yeah, the, the Knicks are are not in good hands, and they look. They don't. Look, I'm not even sure what they're heading for. And I think the same thing could be said about the NBA because last night Commissioner Adam Silver has some interesting comments that I want to get to next here in the final call. Also, Adam, have the question of next season. The league had initially floated December 1st as the start of next season, which means opening training camps in early November. As we sit here now, how likely do you think that timetable actually is? And what's your current thinking on whether you can do home markets versus another bubble or pod scenario? December 1, now that we're working through this season, is feeling um, a little bit early to me. I think our number one goal is to get fans back in our arenas. My sense is, and working with the Players Association, if we could push back even a little longer and it increase the likelihood of having fans in arenas, that's what we, we, we would be targeting. That was NBA Commissioner Adam Silver last night, right before the draft on ESPN with Rachel Nichols. Also, this segment of the final call is brought to you by the scoreboardtimes.com. Scoreboardtimes.com. Show your passion while you're here. Jason, you hear those comments from uh, Commissioner Silver, and he says that the NBA wants to delay the start of next season uh, later than what's already been projected being December 1st. What's your reaction to those comments? Uh, My reaction, I'm not very surprised by it. Um, I I think, you know, December 1, given, you know, the – precautions that we've all been having you know baseball has had its outbreaks things like that the bubble has been working amazing so maybe they'll continue with that but december one in terms of getting fans in a full capacity crowd december just doesn't seem like in like a good date i think christmas maybe they're going to push it back to a couple weeks but i don't think this is a breaking news story we know how the virus has been going through the u.s i just don't think it's that big of a story right now so I think the idea of December 1st was kind of a long shot as it is. The last possible day of this season in the bubble is October 13th. Game 7 of the NBA Finals this year, October 13th. If you're going to have the start of next season be December 1st, that means you have to have free agency, the draft, training camp, 
combines all in the span of about a month and a half, right? There's nowhere near enough time for all that, let alone just enough time for the players who are playing in the bubble right now to recover. It's not enough time. But I get worried when Silver says he wants to wait for the league to be able to have fans in the stands. When is that going to be? I don't like the idea of not knowing anymore. You know what I mean? We just got basketball back, and and this is selfish of me. I I know that, but I can't help but kind of get anxious of saying, like, if we're going to wait till there's fans, you're kind of at the mercy of the universe there and when there's a vaccine. I know experts are saying by January, but that's at the earliest. You know what I mean? So then I guess you're kind of left with either fans or you go back into the bubble, which has worked so far. It's worked really well. No one's caught uh, the virus in the bubble. Uh, there haven't been stories of players sneaking in uh, girls in, uh, in team gear like that was with the Seahawks. Uh, there hasn't been any I – mean, obviously, Lou Williams and players have left, but there hasn't been a breach of the bubble so far. It's worked well. That gets a lot tougher when you add in eight more teams, and you also want to do it over the span of nine months for a full NBA season. So how they do that, I don't know. I think they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. For me, as a fan, I would rather them just stay in the bubble, but the logistics of having a bubble for a full NBA season are really tough. Yeah, December 1 is admirable. Um, I think they just threw that date out, um, you know, when the season was on hiatus, just just as a, you know, a landmark seven, uh, six, seven months away. Let's just see how it plays out. And I think, you know, we've clinged onto that data as kind of a, a date to circle on our calendars to say, hey, this is where, you know, the next season is going to start. Like you said, a month and a half to give players a, a rightful off season, draft, free agency, everything in between. It's just, it's not going to happen. Right. So I, after that, I think, I think there have been a lot of rumors out where the season should be started at Christmas and that should become a yearly thing. That also is probably a little too early. I, I think you, you look at maybe February, but I think, you know, the concerns of will the NBA season be on hiatus again and when will they come back if they really truly want fans to come back uh, for the second resumption? I think there's a concern there. Um, how urgent and how, you know, red is that alert, you know, blasting i don't i don't think you have to like sound the alarms right now um but it's definitely a little cause for concern this early i don't know i i think that the later this this season goes on the closer we get to that october 13th deadline right the more pressure there is the the louder those alarms are going to get because the league i don't think they can end this season without having a start date for next season you can't leave fans, you can't leave players, you can't leave coaches, you can't leave just league employees in limbo like that. You know, obviously, this virus came out of nowhere. You weren't sure. You had, it took a lot of work to build what they have now. And they've done a great job at that. But I don't think they can end this season without having a start date for next year. They've, they should have already sort of been looking at that. The minute teams started showing up at the bubble, the league should have already been planning for next year how to get either fans in the stands or how to have a full NBA season, all 30 teams inside a bubble. So if you were the commissioner and you were running the league office, you would say right now, at least, or maybe you would have announced it weeks ago, let's set another landmark date in March 
or you know somewhere admirable and just give it that right i would have i would have tried to set something more definite more in stone than just hopefully december 1st now they're kind of going back and saying okay we can't do that and obviously i don't blame them for going back because december 1st was never going to work with how this season was already shaping up but now they need to have some sort of date because you're leaving your fans you're leaving your players everyone in limbo unsure you can't do that again I, i i mean just for me personally, the these last five months before sports returned were just, and I'm not the person who's had it worse. Believe me, I know that. But I, I was not happy. I'm gonna be a little selfish. I did not like not having sports. I hated it. I don't want to go back into that. I don't like the idea of waiting until fans can be back in the building to have sports again because that's another maybe six months out. You're not gonna have it by January because you get to even just see the vaccine works. Right, yep. you got. There's a lot that has to go on before fans have to get back in the building, and I, it really bothers me that these owners and leagues still think that they can, you know, try. No, you can't. I get not giving up hope, but let's be let's be honest. Let's be realistic. I'd rather have sports with no fans than no sports at all. And that's a big hurdle to jump if you're the league because you don't know who's coming into your arenas and you don't know who's coming out. So, you know, I think masks would be enforced. They have to be enforced. But even yeah. then, masks but, aren't a 100% guarantee. And a, a bigger point is, who who's coming into your arenas and who's going to want to sit next to, directly next to other people, right? And, and, and also, what, what level of comfortability are you going to have to you know, gain? At what, ca- at what capacity are you having these fans and stands? I mean, are you having fans in? Like, you can't have fit, like even That's close to 100. It's probably less than 20. Less than 20% capacity, and there's no way you can sell courtside seats. There's no way you're doing any form of concessions probably because that's just asking for bodily fluids to be swapped, be moved around. Bathrooms are probably like – f- bathrooms probably have a capacity about four at a time, and there's no way that happens at, at an NBA game. You, you and I, we've both been to basketball games. There's no, the lines for those, for those bathrooms are long, and even at 20% capacity, you can't do it. So I just I don't see how the league can wait until there's fans at this point. Right now, you've got to go into a bowl, and that's equally as hard. I understand that. It, it took a lot of effort and work to just get where they are right now. Yep. But you've got to find a way. You can't just leave everyone in limbo and hanging like that. I, I, I just... I know it could be so much worse, but I want, I'm going to be selfish and say, like, hey, you don't leave your fans. Don't leave your players. Don't leave coaches, executives. Don't leave everyone in limbo like that. Don't do that. Have a set date by the end of this year, by the, by the time the finals start, and that's another month and a half away, right? But mm-hmm. by then, there should be a date set for next season. And if you – I think – in terms of getting fans back in seats, capacity is the biggest thing because you, like you said, no courtside seats. I would even go to the, the point where no seats in the lower bowl in, in the, in the bottom layer. So but at, that, you, at that rate then, like what, what, how much are tickets even really worth? Right. If you're, if you're up, in, if you're up in the balcony, if you're up in the rafters and you can, the basketball, a basketball court's already small enough as it is in that, at that setting. And you're only, you can, then you can only see, you can only be, you know, 50 feet above the floor. I don't even know if anyone's really, even the fans who want to go to the game, are they willing to pay 
that much to only be that close? Because we know owners are going to charge out the nose for those seats because those are the only seats available. But you can, you can kind of, you know, I can kind of look at how desperate people might be for sports and especially young people like us that aren't as high risk. They might be willing to pull a trigger on tickets like that. I don't know. Um, I certainly won't be one of those guys. Um, But yeah, I think honestly in the balcony, skip every other row. And even that's kind of risky in with itself because you don't know, you know, where those people are walking into. It's just a mess. I don't, I don't see, I don't see a deadline. I don't see it coming to fruition in the next five months. I don't see that people getting that comfortable. To no, absolutely not. There will I, absolutely be a stigma of people going into crowded places, crowded areas, you know, shoulder to shoulder in a beer line for the bathroom or any other position, the, the pro shop. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. And I, I, I think the league is just being too cavalier. They're being a little too optimistic right now. They got to kind of set the bar a little lower. What they've done has been a feat in and of itself, and they should be very proud of it. They really should, but it's going to be even harder to figure out how to get players in a bubble city in Disney world for an, for an eight month long season have each team and if you do that you you gotta have to let them have the families in you can't have players away from their families for eight months you just can't do it that's insane so that means even more people more capacity more space i don't know it was it was tough enough getting this done i just i don't like i know how hard it really was but they already should have been planning for it and i think for him to say for him to just now say that December first was too is too early, I think they're already behind the eight ball here. I, I think they're coming off as cavalier and a little nonchalant and a little casual, but at the same time, you can't let the optics out that oh my god, the roof's on fire. You, no, you of course panic. not. I, I don't. I don't want them to say like there's. I don't want them to be that way either. But I think they need to say like, okay there should be some sort of plan. I don't think there's any plan at all. They haven't alluded to any type of plan of when next season will be. I think Christmas is a little too early too. I just because again, just for the timetable of the off season, it should be maybe like early February, late January is really when it should start just to give a full off season for a place to recover, have the draft, have free agency. That's really when they need to do is like late January, early February, in a bubble that's what it's august that's six months from now math not my strong suit right yep something like that yeah. so uh, that's really when it should be right i think they have a plan though and if, if they got this together in five months right they can absolutely find a way to get eight teams eight more teams in there with their families by then i i think they can i get the nba uh i think I give the NBA more of a chance than I would any other league. Yep. To do this. I'm with you. I really do. It, it is a long – the owners are probably pressuring Adam Silver to be like, all right, we want fans in the stands. I think Adam Silver personally, you know, um, without the tunnel vision of, of owners, I think he's realistic. I think he's like, I can't go anywhere without a mask. I can't even be in the bubble. I don't have the virus. Nobody else here has the virus, and I'm still wearing a mask. I, I that that in in and with it itself is a lack of comfort. And just to speak on my own um, behalf, I can't believe that. What are we in August? Late August. I can't believe that six months ago I was in a store 
without a mask. I, I, I feel like naked without one on. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, no, I, 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 don't, I don't, you, you can't go anywhere without one now. So, and, and even, and then to go into a crowded arena for me, a mask wouldn't even feel, I wouldn't feel safe enough with that. Nope. I want a full hazmat suit. I want gloves. I want. I want to look like the guys that dropped in from the ceiling in Monsters Inc. Twenty three nineteen. Twenty three nineteen. Code twenty three nineteen. <laughs> and with that, that's all the time we have for the final call this time around. Uh, make sure to check us out wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Go check out NewEnglandSportsUnited.com. Go check out TheScoreboardTimes.com if you're interested in doing a little bit of reading. For Jason Snow, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the final call on Radio Massasoit. Some kind of way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion